0: Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. Our scripture text this morning that we're taking is from the Gospel according to Luke in chapter 11. I'll invite you, wherever you are, to take your scripture and open your Bible there. This is a, <clears throat> I will uh, confess to you, uh, we're following kind of a, a pattern through the season of Lent that comes to us in the, um, in the study and the uh, devotional reading called Listen to Him, written by J.D. Walt. It's a, a good reading, a, a good study. Uh, the scripture that was appointed for this week's sermon I have to admit, I laid it out, and then I got into this week, and I thought, boy, this is an odd scripture from which to preach. But it it still speaks to us, and so uh, let's let God's Word have its way with us today. We're in Luke 11, reading from verse 37. Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity And then all things are clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the front seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces." Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. And one of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. But he said, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets and it was your fathers who killed them consequently you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs for this reason also the wisdom of God said I will send to them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and some they will persecute in order that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before we start, I'll have to tell you that I had a a laugh-out-loud moment this week as I was doing devotional reading. Uh, Knowing that this was the preaching text for Sunday, I probably spent more time dwelling on it than I have other days, and this was actually the devotional text for uh, this previous Monday's uh, devotion. So Tuesday morning, having dwelt so much on the text that I just read, Tuesday morning when I read verse 53, which picked up where we left off, and it said, uh, when he left there, meaning when Jesus left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects. And I actually laughed out loud, and I thought, I hope that doesn't surprise Jesus. You know, I mean, he, he undressed them so well at the dinner party, I, I hope he didn't say, well, I can't figure out why they're being so mean toward me now. It shouldn't have come to any surprise. But uh, he, he did a pretty good job of uh, really laying into them uh, at the dinner party. Renee and I were talking about this, and she said, boy, I bet it got quiet after that at the dinner party, didn't it? Probably did. I, wanna, I want you to picture in your mind, if you will, two, an encounter with two different people the first would be a TSA agent at the security checkpoint at the airport Uh, many of you have flown before and so you know the joy of going through all the screenings with the TSA agents and I guess I should qualify I don't have anything against TSA agents you know I'm, I'm glad that they're there and I'm glad that they do their jobs but you know how it goes you know you you get your turn in line you go up you have to show your your identification you, they, they inspect it very closely. They ask you whatever questions they need to. You move on from that person to the next one where you have to uh, you know, unload your pockets, put all your baggage up for inspection. And if you're really lucky, they pull you aside for further inspection, You know, where they wave the wand all around you and go through your stuff. Uh, it's not the most joyous experience in the world. And so you can probably remember if you've ever enjoyed that what the feeling was uh, having having to go through that experience to to meet those persons that they they are indeed gatekeepers Uh, they they only allow through those who have the proper credentials and who meet the right standards and if you meet those standards then you're allowed to pass so compare that if you will to the second person I want you to envision in your mind and that would be a, a top-notch greeter at a church that you're visiting for the first time picture that man and woman they might even meet you in the parking lot if not just outside the front door they're hospitable they are full of joy they're warm they're welcoming they want to show you the way in They will extend a handshake, except not right now, probably. Uh, They will do everything they can. Yeah, they'll give you an elbow bump or whatever it is. They'll do everything they can to make sure that you feel welcomed. They, They are not gatekeepers. They're door holders. They'll open the door for you. They will help you find where you need to go so that you can feel fully included in what the body is doing that morning they will give you a certain feeling by having encountered them my guess is that the feeling you get from encountering the TSA agent is different from the one you get from encountering that well that greeter at the church one is a gatekeeper and the other is a door holder and that kind of ties into what Jesus was doing and challenging the religious leaders of his time the criticism that Jesus has has to do with influence over other people influence is a powerful thing and it has to do with that image of being gatekeepers or door holders in verse 52 of the text we just read he not only criticizes the religious leaders for not entering the kingdom themselves but hindering others who would have entered in It's the impact of a hypocritical spirit Chuck Swindoll in one of his devotional books offers this uh, uh, reflection if you will on the impact of a hypocritical spirit he says quote our problem is a gross intolerance of those who don't fit our mold an attitude which reveals itself in the stoic stare of a caustic comment. Such legalistic and prejudiced reactions will thin the ranks of the local church faster than fire in the basement or flu in the pew. A pretty timely analogy to use on a day like this. You're either welcoming them in or you're screening them out and Jesus challenged those religious leaders because they acted as the screen door rather than a door holder to welcome people who might want to come into the kingdom the whole thing begins when Jesus accepts a, uh, an invitation to go to a Pharisee's house uh, for, for lunch and he, they go in and the Pharisees obviously do what the Pharisees normally would have done before a, a meal they would have ceremonially washed now we encourage people today to wash your hands which I hope you always do it's about hygiene but what they were doing was not so much about hygiene it was being ceremonially clean and they noticed that Jesus did not uh, partake in a ceremonial washing of his hands before he had the meal I don't know if Jesus did it intentionally in order to kind of bait them into a conversation I don't know that uh, somebody may not have actually Commented on it when they observed that Jesus do it. it didn't didn't ceremonially wash the text does not tell us whether or not that happened, it's just that they observed it, and Jesus might have just boldly jumped both feet right in and started the conversation himself, but he 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 basically says to them, you you all have this habit of paying such close attention to the outside, and not looking at the inside. Our devotional writer for the week, J.D. Waltz, said that they had an outside-in approach to their spirituality. He says, you wash the outside of the cup, but you don't wash the inside of the cup. Now, when you and I wash dishes, we wash both sides, right? So, but, but Jesus' point is, you're, you're, you're thinking that just because you've washed the outside that everything is good. You're not paying attention to the inside of the cup. And probably that's where you should start paying attention. In, in the 24th Psalm, the writer says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And it's like Jesus is saying to those religious leaders, If you will pay attention to, the, to whether or not you have a pure heart, the clean hands will come as a result. But as it is, all you look at is whether or not you have clean hands. And you're not paying attention to the fact that your heart is very, very impure. And that's why Jesus goes on, if, we, if you look forward just a little bit to, uh, the, to the beginning of chapter 12. Uh, Jesus moves on from there and he takes his disciples. There's multitudes around him. But he says first to his disciples, in the end of verse uh, verse 1, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It's not that he took so much issue with the teaching of the law, but it was their hypocritical spirit that was hindering other people from coming in. We'll get back to that in just a minute. Jesus challenges the Pharisees and the lawyers, and really all the religious leaders, because of their hypocrisy the fact that they teach one thing and end up doing another the fact that they teach something but their hearts are far from it and as we look through this text that we read a few minutes ago we can find some very particular ways in which Jesus challenged their hypocrisy if you look first in verse 42 Jesus says to the Pharisees woe to you because you pay a tithe of mint and rue, and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. You should have been doing the one without disregarding the other, without leaving the other undone. Jesus says, it's in essence, do both. This would be what I might call the hypocrisy of empty practices. The hypocrisy of empty practices. Here we are in a season of Lent. And we are in a, a season where we, uh, it's, it's uh, often a habit of us to take on more practices. Now, most of us who are either gathered in this place or those who are watching from some other place, we could list some religious practices that we carry on re- regularly. We show up for worship, we read our Bible, we pray. There are a lot of practices that we do, and we do them for a reason. There's a reason behind them. The problem is when we lose touch between the practice and the meaning behind it. Here's, here's the way the devotional uh, writer J.D. Walt framed it this week. He, at one point he said, It's like we have mastered the motions, but we have completely lost track with the movement of Jesus. Jesus had a movement among people, a movement of changing hearts, of transforming lives, of touching people in their deepest places. And, and the fruit of that were, were lives that were completely turned around, 180 degrees sometimes. Our problem sometimes is that we continue to go through the motions of our religion, but we've forgotten what the movement is. The motions don't have any weight anymore. Brett, I'll bet you remember the, the old movie called The Karate Kid. Do you remember that? Okay. I'm afraid some of our younger generation won't appreciate the movie The Karate Kid. If you're a young person and you don't know The Karate Kid, you need to look that up on Netflix or wherever you can get it and watch that movie. It's a movie about a, a, a teenage boy who was you know, having had problems being bullied. He wanted to learn the, the, the art of self-defense through karate. And so he goes to this Asian man, a, a wise older Asian man, who was known to be a master of karate, and he wanted him to teach him the art of karate. At first, the guy didn't want to do it, but he, eventually he said, okay. And so he started teaching the boy by having him wash and wax his car. You remember that? And he said, when you wash, you have to do it a certain way. Your hand movements have to go a certain way. You wash, you, you know, and then he said, you know, wax, when you put the wax on, you have to, you know, a certain circular motion. When you wax off, it's a, it's a different motion, a different circular motion. And the boy just didn't understand. He said, all, all he saw was the guy's just having me wash and wax his car over and over and over again. All I'm doing is washing and waxing his car. And when he was doing it, he wasn't paying attention to the hand motions. And He said, no, no, when you wax, wax on, wax on, wax on. When you take the wax off, you wax off, wax off, wax off. And the boy was being taught without even realizing what he was being taught. And eventually the man got him to the point where he said, okay, now you're going to learn what you've been learning all along. And he said, wax off. And the, and the boy did the motion. And he showed him how that motion that had been ingrained in him taught him something valuable. Wax off. And he did another motion. And all of these motions were able to fend off or to, to do some kind of motion that he really needed to learn. All along he had been realizing the... The practice was getting down deep into him and it meant something, even though he didn't know it. There's a connection between the the practice and the meaning behind it. And sometimes we just simply lose that. Jesus said, You're you're paying your tithes of all kinds of things, the herbs and all the things. You're doing the motions but you have lost touch with the reality that those motions should be teaching you the love of god uh... the dynamic of god wanting you to be tenderhearted open to the to being generous in other ways to the need that you have around you it's like jesus saying when you're practicing this you ought to be learning the fact that god has put in your hand the ability to impact the world for the causes of justice and mercy on behalf of other people But you're blind to that. And so you come and you go through the religious practice and you think you've done your duty. And your heart is cold and your eyes are blind to the need that is all around you. You should be paying your tithes. You should be doing the religious practice but learning the meaning behind it, making your heart tender for causes of justice and mercy. And see, I would just wonder if the same is not sometimes true with us, whether it's through the practice of tithing, whether it's through the practice of regular worship, showing up habitually in the same place to gather with God's people. All of these things we do, but there's a meaning behind all of it. And Jesus challenges the hypocrisy of empty practices. What we do always has a meaning. Let's not, let, uh, uh, let's not be good at going through the motions and being completely lost from the movement of Christ the next thing he says is in verse 43 he challenges them again and says woe to you Pharisees for you love the front seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces it's the hypocrisy of pride and it's very evident as Jesus points it out in the Pharisees case they they love being able to walk into the marketplace and being recognized they love being able to walk into the synagogue and, and they get the front seats, the, the seats of, of honor and dignity. It, it fills their, their sense of pride. And, and maybe we shouldn't be too distanced from that, thinking that we're, not, uh, that, that we're somehow immune to that. Back at Christmas time, I preached a sermon in which I alluded to this also. and um, my, my daughter and her husband were here from Virginia. And, uh, sometime after that, you know, and I, and I talked in that sermon about how it's not about me, it's not about me, I just kept pounding, it's not all about me, it's not all about us. And we were, after, after that Sunday sermon, we were all traveling in our van together and we were, uh, they were talking about that message and my oldest daughter said, you know, I was listening to you preach that and I just felt like you were preaching that sermon just for me. And everybody in the car laughed out loud and she said, what? And she said, did you hear what you just said? It's all about you. <laughs> she laughed. He said, oh, I didn't even get it. It's so easy, you know, to say, well, it's all about me. But Jesus says, no, it's all about, not all about you. It's about true humility. And true humility is so, so hard for us. We want to work at it. We want to work at being humble. I want to be more humble. And if I just put more effort into it, I'll finally arrive at the place where I'm Truly humble, and when I reach the point where I'm truly humble, I'll feel proud of my accomplishment. That's ironic, isn't it? And I want, I want to say to people, look how humble I am. See me, how humble I am? Actually, it's often more subtle than that. Um, you know, it can be... It can be... Um, it can be the, the, You know, there are people who always want to say yes because there's that deep-seated need to always be needed. And so I'll say yes to things I should never say yes to just because I want people to need me. People on social media who are, you know, I mean, if you're guilty of always looking at your Facebook post to see how many likes you got, and if you didn't get a whole bunch of likes on your Facebook post, you feel like people are sliding you, maybe a little pride stepping in. Maybe superficiality, you know, do you do things because you're worried about how other people see you? know yeah, that pride thing, cre- the cream thing creeps into us in, in so many subtle ways. And, and for the Pharisees, it was on such, on, on such broad display. And we stand back with Jesus and we want to stand shoulder to shoulder with Him and say, You tell them, Jesus. Well, I'm glad. Give him another one. They have it coming. And I just picture Jesus turning around to me and saying, Oh, yeah? Well, what about you? And honestly, I'm guilty of pride just as much as anybody else. The thing is, I just have to be challenged in order to see it. Jesus moves on. There's a third way that he challenges them. In verse 46, he uh, challenges those who were called the lawyers, those who were steeped in the law of the Jews, and he says in verse 46, "Woe to you as well, for you weigh men down with burdens that are hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers." As I thought about this, this would be what I'd call the the hypocrisy of hypercritical legalism. I didn't want to just say legalism; I wanted to add that uh, adjective, hypercritical legalism, that you're you 're always looking for the ways to nitpick, nitpick, and put burdens on other people when honestly, if you just really thought about it you don 't even meet them yourself, just as a way of connecting I want to let me invite you to turn in your scripture over to Romans chapter two. Um, come on, you you folks at home, get those Bibles up, turn those pages over it's always good practice I, I want you to see kind of how. What Jesus says to the lawyers there connects with something that Paul actually says in the writing of Romans. So look in Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, and I'm going to read several verses here. Uh, Paul's kind of getting into this, and he says, for, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, uh, not having the law in themselves... Excuse me, I didn't, stay, uh, didn't start in the right place. Uh, Am I looking in the right place? Y'all be patient with me. Verse 17, excuse me. I thought that sounded odd. That's not what I read earlier this morning. Verse 17. But if you bear the name of Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. That's a long preface, isn't it? You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. And see, Paul's talking about the very same thing. Oh, we have the law, we have the law, we have the law. We stick up for the law. And Paul's going, really? You're teaching everybody else, and then if you look deeply enough, you're not sticking with it. You're teaching others, and yet you're not adhering to it yourself. Just as another way of making connection, I want you to uh, hear once again, uh, these are very familiar words, but you find this in Matthew 11. Uh, You can find it in verses 28 through uh, 30 in Matthew chapter 11. And Jesus makes this comment. I just kind of want you to take this familiar saying of Jesus and and apply it back to what he was talking about in, in Luke 11. Jesus says in Matthew 11 verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for my rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my load is light. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. What do you think Jesus is talking about? We usually hear that and we go, Oh, you know, all those, I'm just so tired in life, you know, so many responsibilities, the hecticness of life, you know, and I just want to find rest from it. What Jesus is talking about is you've been learning from all these religious, religious teachers who are doing exactly what Jesus says in verse 46. You weigh men down with burdens that are hard to bear, and yet you're not even willing to carry them yourself. The people were burdened, they were tired, they were weighed down trying to meet the standard of the law that these religious leaders had been laying onto them. And Jesus says, woe to you because of that. Woe to you. I can still remember as plain as day, I've shared this some time back, I'll share it again. I remember as plain as day sitting in the congregation I was serving at the time And it's been a long time ago. It was early in the service. And I noticed a young man walk in to the sanctuary and walk up toward the front to be seated with his family. And when I say young man, I don't mean a teenager. I'm talking about a young adult man who had a wife and children. His family was already there. He had come in kind of late, which he had a very good reason for. Um, And he sat down and he was wearing a ball cap. And I immediately started seeing the rumblings in the choir. A little murmur, murmur, murmur. And I just kept watching as uh, one person passed to another, passed passed to another, whispering in the ear, until the appointed henchman got up from the choir, walked down to where the young man was sitting, leaned over to him and whispered in his ear after which I saw the young man just very sheepishly and probably embarrassed take his cap and lay it down now I want to ask you a question is that door holding or gatekeeping gatekeepers are the ones who make sure that you have all the proper documentation and meet all the right standards. The door holders are the ones who say the kingdom awaits you. Come on in. And I share that because all of this matters. Influence is what's at stake here. Influence. It's a huge thing and this is why the criticism of Jesus to the religious leaders was so sharp because the Pharisees were highly influential people, and when you have the wrong influence coming from highly influential people it is a bad bad thing this is why Jesus said you are like unmarked graves that people walk over and people don't even know the effect that's been had upon them I, I understand the image I've had the, the, the uh, privilege of being in the Holy Land to see this uh, how, how this would be understood by the people in, in some of the areas around Jerusalem there's a lot of places where uh, the limestone has, uh, is, is showing because the soil has been eroded away And then there there are places where there are breaks in the limestone openings that you could uh, easily use as a grave. You could put a dead body in it, in which they would often do. They prepare a dead body and put it in there. Uh, In another place, uh, Jesus talks about the leaders being whitewashed tombs. This is what they would do. In order, if someone were walking along, how would you know that that opening in the ground is being used as a grave? Well, you would use, you know, like we would call paint or whitewash, and you would mark it. So the people would see that and know that this is a place of uncleanness. And Jesus says to the religious leaders here, you're like unmarked graves. People are encountering you and don't even know that they're being led away from the kingdom rather than toward it. It's the influence that is so important. And that's why I have to read a passage like this And and rather than picturing myself, myself standing shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, saying, go ahead, Jesus, let him have another one. I have to turn it around like looking in the mirror as if Jesus is saying, well, what about you? Because if the truth were known, I and you as well have much more influence on people who meet you than you might think. Especially those who might be questioning, who might be seeking, who might be a little skeptical, who might have had a bad experience with Christians, who may not understand fully what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. All of this is important to us. Because they are either going to encounter us as gatekeepers or as door holders. I was listening recently to a podcast by Ravi Zacharias. He was doing a Q&A, as he often does, at the University of Illinois. And somebody ha- asked a question about uh, something, you know, what, it, things that might give him problems with the Christian faith. And this is what he said in response. He said, quote, The biggest thing that troubles me in the Christian faith is why I see so many people who claim to love him whose lives are so far from what he wants us to be. And I don't mean just that we are not as godly as we need to be, but why is there so much contradiction and hypocrisy in their lives? Sometimes the deeper, sometimes the more scripture-quoting the person, the less Christ-like you see the person. I struggle with that. End quote. And that's a powerful statement. I'm not... Perfect. I'm not the way that Christ would have me to be in every instance. And neither are you. But honestly, there are ways in our lives that we are probably being hypoc- hypocritical and we don't even know it. And that's why we really need the Holy Spirit to show up and let God's Word speak to us and challenge us and change us. And that, we, we, that we might be for the world a door holder, the same. Christ is inviting you to come in. We need you to know the Savior, to know the, the wonderful transforming love that Jesus offers, to you. And I want to be the last one, to stand in your way. And I'll say this: I don't know, who's, wherever listening to this. You know, in your living room, or or maybe you're driving down the road listening to this. Um, if you are a, a, a skeptic, a, a, a a questioner, a seeker, you're just not sure, you're wondering, I beg you to give Jesus a try. Don't let somebody like me or, or a bad experience with another Christian be the one to keep you away. Don't attribute our sins to him. Let the pure Christ of God be the one you encounter. And by God's help, may we, we be the ones who truly represent him to the world. Let's pray. Father, the words that Jesus spoke so long ago um, are still challenging to us today. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to the ways that we have perhaps not represented you well to others. We've been sometimes gatekeepers who... um, Honestly, put barriers in the way that just don't need to be there. And so, Father, as we repent of that, help us to change our ways. Help us in all ways to be Christ-like for those who would meet us. May we be those who are eager to welcome those who would come to you. Accomplish that through us. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We are glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can watch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.